Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Okapi with a penchant for flapjacks on the other end of my internet connection is Ellen. That's me. I do love flapjacks. Almost as much as I love doing the rolling rehash. Well, you just, you do it then, girl. Harry broke a cardinal rule of wizardry by haphazardly leaving his wand within arm's reach of the bad guy. Tom Riddle broke the cardinal rule of successful bad guys by spending way too much time monologuing and not enough time killing the good guy. Slytherin's monster broke the cardinal rule of 2020 vision by getting his eyes pecked out. Ginny broke the cardinal rule of tween girls by not putting a lock on her diary. And Dumbledore broke a cardinal rule of child safety by sending a 12-year-old a hat with a sword in it. During episode 35, Tommy and the Nope Rope, we had two Potter ponderings. The first one was, what do you think about Tom Riddle saying Hagrid was trying to raise werewolf cubs under his bed? Carly brought this up in a previous Potter pondering and is so concerned that all she could manage to comment was, human babies! Then she added that she thinks she could see him raising wolf cubs in his room and Riddle lying about it and manipulating the situation. Since people are so against werewolves belonging as normal citizens, she feels like they wouldn't even question if they were werewolves or just regular wolves, which makes sense. Yeah. Diana said that she thinks Riddle's comment about werewolves is an early symptom of his fanaticism about pure blood. Werewolves are far from pure, and as Hagrid is the dirty half-giant oaf, he obviously would raise werewolves. Quincy thinks it seems like Hagrid was trying to have a werewolf army, or that Riddle is a filthy liar. Which, I mean, that wouldn't be the first time. Not at all. Or it could have just been a school rumor. How amazing of a story would that have been to have passed around? Dave said he ran across this blurb about what Pottermore has to say about werewolf cubs. One curious feature of lycanthropy is that if two werewolves meet and mate at the full moon, the result of mating will be wolf cubs that resemble true wolves in everything except their abnormally high intelligence. They are not more aggressive than normal wolves and do not single out humans for attack. Such a litter was once set free under conditions of extreme secrecy in the Forbidden Forest at Hogwarts, with the kind permission of Albus Dumbledore. The cubs grew into beautiful and unusually intelligent wolves, and some of them live there still, which has given rise to the stories about werewolves in the forest, stories none of the teachers or the gamekeeper has done much to dispel because keeping students out of the forest is, in their view, highly desirable. Yeah, he adds that he could imagine that someone like Hagrid, being a little slower because of being half-giant, and being someone who is so interested in having and caring for unusual magical creatures, that if someone gave him some baby rats or some other weird, harmless, small werewolf-looking creature, that Hagrid would totally believe they were baby werewolves. Tom knew about Aragog and that he would sneak out to the forest, or else Tom was constantly spying on him like Draco always spied on Harry. 
He calls him big and bumbling, so it seems more of a dig or insult at his intelligence, implying he was stupid enough to believe that what he had under his bed was actually werewolf cubs, and accusing him of always trying to raise dangerous creatures, and thus further pinning the Chamber of Secrets monster on him. Well, that pretty much answers everything we wondered about how that would work. Mm -hmm. So I guess Hagrid didn't just have human babies under his bed. That's a good thing. Yeah, and like I said before, I could totally see Hagrid trying to raise baby wolves under his bed. Oh yeah, like he probably snuck out to the forest to wrestle a troll and happened upon them and snuck them back to his dorm. I mean, could you imagine? (laughs) They were probably adorable. Right? I wonder what he named them. (gasps) Ooh, that should be an extra Potter pondering just for funsies. Okay. (laughs) Our second Potter pondering from last week was, do phoenixes cry on demand or are they actually upset that someone needs to be healed? For this one, Carly said that she always felt that they could produce their tears whenever they wanted, whenever they see a need. However, since that could make them emotional, she thinks it's a mix of being emotional and on command. Diana thinks that the phoenix tears is just a biological reaction. Quincy believes the phoenixes cry when someone they or their master cares about needs to be healed. All of which are very valid points. Makes a lot of sense. Right? I like all of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Our trivia question from last week was, in addition to the special awards for services to the school, how many points does Dumbledore award Harry and Ron apiece? Harry and Ron each get 200 points, giving Gryffindor an additional 400 points, securing the House Cup win for the second year in a row. At least this time Dumbledore awarded the points immediately after they returned from saving the day and didn't wait until the end of the year feast, letting Slytherin think they won until the very last second again. Yeah, that's something. Mm-hmm. Congratulations goes to Dave Garza. He's starting up a streak with two weeks in a row now. Nicely done. Well, we are pretty excited to be to this point, so let's just keep rolling into the final chapter of Chamber of Secrets. Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward. Harry, Ron, Ginny, and Lockhart enter Professor McGonagall's office and hear a scream. Mrs. Weasley yells out, Ginny! And she and Mr. Weasley jump up and fling themselves on her. Harry notices that Professor Dumbledore is standing next to Professor McGonagall, who is trying to steady her breath. Fox swoops down past them and settles on Dumbledore's shoulder, as Mrs. Weasley also grabs a hold of Ron and Harry and asks how they saved her. McGonagall also wants to know, and Harry sets the sorting hat, Ruby set sword, and Riddle's diary on her desk. He tells them everything that happened, the disembodied voice, Hermione figuring out it was a basilisk in the pipes, following the spiders, and guessing Moaning Myrtle was the previous victim and the entrance being in her bathroom. Professor McGonagall mentions that they broke a hundred school rules in the process, but she really wants to know how they got out alive. He explains about Fox's arrival with the hat that gave him the sword, and hesitates because he doesn't want to mention the diary and get Jenny in trouble. Dumbledore speaks up asking how Lord Voldemort managed to enchant Jenny when his sources tell him that he's currently hiding in Albania. Mr. Weasley is shocked to hear you-know-who enchanted Jenny, but Harry is relieved and explains about the diary. Dumbledore says this was brilliant, and explains that Voldemort was once called Tom Riddle to the confused Weasleys. He taught him 50 years ago, before he disappeared and underwent many dangerous magical transformations, and resurfaced as Lord Voldemort. 
Mrs. Weasley wants to know what Ginny has to do with him, and Ginny wails that she found the diary in one of her books and had been writing in it all year. Mr. Weasley lectures her about never trusting anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. But Dumbledore says she should go to the hospital wing and will not be punished, as Madame Pomfrey is about to administer the mandrake juice and there has been no lasting harm done. Mr. and Mrs. Weasley lead Ginny out, and Dumbledore asks Professor McGonagall to organize a celebratory feast, leaving him alone with Harry, Ron, and Professor Lockhart. Dumbledore mentions that he had said he would have to expel them if they broke any more school rules, but continues on to say that it goes to show that sometimes even the best of them must eat their words. He gives them each special awards for services to the school and 200 points apiece for Gryffindor. Dumbledore then turns to Lockhart and asks why he's being so modest. Ron explains that Lockhart tried to do a memory charm and it backfired, and Dumbledore asks him to escort Lockhart to the hospital wing as well. He asks Harry to sit down and thanks him for the loyalty he must have shown to him down in the chamber, saying nothing but that could have called Fox to him. He brings up Tom Riddle and says that he must have been very interested in him. Harry bursts out that Riddle mentions strange likenesses between them and says that he doesn't think they are alike. He's in Gryffindor. He trails off and then confides in Dumbledore that the Sorting Hat tried to put him in Slytherin and that everyone thought he was Slytherin's heir since he can speak Parseltongue. Dumbledore explains that Harry can speak Parseltongue because Lord Voldemort can speak Parseltongue. Voldemort transferred some of his own power to Harry the night he gave him that scar. Harry thinks this means he should be in Slytherin, and Dumbledore agrees that he does have many qualities Salazar Slytherin prizes, Parseltongue, resourcefulness, determination, a certain disregard for the rules, but the hat put him in Gryffindor. He thinks Harry knows why. Harry feels defeated, saying it was only because he asked not to go to Slytherin. Dumbledore smiles and says, exactly, which makes you very different from Tom Riddle. It is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. He hands Harry the sword as proof, telling him to look closely at it. Harry turns it over and sees the name Godric Gryffindor engraved just below the hilt. Dumbledore tells him that only a true Gryffindor could have pulled that out of the hat. He then tells Harry to head down to the feast while he writes to Azkaban to get their gamekeeper back and to the Daily Prophet to advertise for a new defense against the dark arts teacher. Before Harry can leave, the door bursts open and Lucius Malfoy walks in, closely followed by Dobby. Lucius confronts Dumbledore about returning after the governor suspended him, and Dumbledore informs him that the 11 other governors contacted him after they heard Arthur Weasley's daughter had been taken. They asked him to return and told him that Lucius had threatened to curse their families if they hadn't agreed to suspend him in the first place. Lucius pales but remains furious and asks if the attacks have stopped. Dumbledore smiles and says they have, that it was the same person as last time, Lord Voldemort, though this time he was acting through someone else, using a diary. He holds up the diary, watching Malfoy's reaction. Harry notices Dobby, who keeps pointing to the diary and looking meaningful at Harry, then Mr. Malfoy, then hitting himself. Dumbledore tells Lucius that it was a clever plan, because if Harry had not found the diary, Jenny Weasley would have taken all the blame, and it would have had a very negative effect on the Weasley family and Arthur's Muggle Protection Act. He says it's very fortunate the diary was discovered. Malfoy manages to speak, insincerely agreeing with him, as Dobby continues pointing at the diary and Lucius, then hitting himself. Harry understands and asks Mr. Malfoy if he wants to know how Ginny got the diary. 
Lucia says, how should I know how the stupid little girl got a hold of it? And Harry replies, because you gave it to her. He says he slipped it in her transfiguration book at Flourish and Blots. Malfoy hisses for him to prove it, and Dumbledore says they won't be able to do that, but advises him not to go giving out any more of Lord Voldemort's school things, sure that Arthur Weasley, for one, will trace them back to him. Lucius stands and tells Dobby they are leaving, then kicks the elf right out the door. Harry thinks fast and asks Dumbledore, for the diary, to give it back to Malfoy. Dumbledore says certainly, but tells him to hurry. Harry grabs the diary, removes his sock, and stuffs the diary into it before running after Malfoy. He calls to him, saying he has something for him, then forces it into Malfoy's hands. Lucius rips off the sock and tosses it aside. He sees the ruined diary and furiously tells Harry he will meet the same sticky end as his meddlesome parents. He turns to leave and calls for Dobby again, who is holding Harry's slimy sock as if it is a priceless treasure. He says, Master has given Dobby a sock and declares himself to be free. Malfoy lunges at Harry, saying, You lost me, my servant, boy, before Dobby intervenes and with a loud bang, throws Mr. Malfoy backwards down the hall. He tells him to go now, that he will not touch Harry Potter, and Lucius has no choice but to hurry away. Dobby is thrilled that Harry Potter freed him, and Harry says it was the least he could do, and asks him to promise never to try to save his life again. He also asks about Dobby telling him that it had nothing to do with he who must not be named, and Dobby tells him that it was a clue, because the Dark Lord could be freely named before he changed it. Harry says, right, and tells Dobby he better get to the feast. Dobby hugs Harry, says farewell, and disappears with a crack. The Hogwarts feast is unlike any other one before. Everyone is in their pajamas, and the celebrations last all night. Harry isn't sure if the best part is Hermione running up, screaming, you solved it, Justin's apology, Hagrid's return, his and Ron's 400 points winning them the House Cup, Professor McGonagall announcing that exams are canceled as a school treat, or Dumbledore announcing that Lockhart will be unable to return next year. Quite a few teachers joined in cheering that news, as Ron says, shame, he was starting to grow on me. The rest of the summer term is fairly normal, except that Defense Against the Dark Arts classes are canceled, and Lucius Malfoy has been sacked as school governor. Soon it's time for the journey home on the Hogwarts Express. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Fred, and George get a compartment to themselves, play Exploding Snap, practice disarming each other, and set off the last of the fireworks. They are nearly back at King's Cross when Harry remembers Ginny saw Percy doing something and asks about it. Ginny giggles and tells them all that Percy has a girlfriend, the Ravenclaw prefect, Penelope Clearwater. He had been writing her all summer and meeting her in secret during the school year. She walked in on them kissing in an empty classroom. Fred and George look like their birthday has come early at this news. The train stops and Harry scribbles out the Dursley's phone number to give to Ron and Hermione, asking them to call so he doesn't have to go two months with only Dudley to talk to. Hermione thinks his aunt and uncle will be proud when they hear all he did, but Harry informs her that they won't be. They will be upset at all of the times he could have died, but didn't. Then together, they re-enter the muggle world. The movie starts out with Harry and Ron in Dumbledore's office. He is lecturing them about all of the school rules they have broken and telling them that there is sufficient evidence that they should be expelled. But instead, Dumbledore tells them that they will both be given special awards for services to the school. 
He then dismisses Ron, asking him to have an owl deliver release papers to Azkaban so they can get their gamekeeper back. Dumbledore then thanks Harry for the loyalty he must have shown him to call Fox to him. He also asks Harry what is troubling him, and Harry mentions the similarities between himself and Tom Riddle. Dumbledore mentions Harry's ability to speak Parseltongue, and says it is because of Lord Voldemort's ability to speak Parseltongue. He thinks Voldemort unintentionally transferred some of his powers to Harry the night he gave him that scar. Harry takes this to mean that the Sorting Hat was right, and he should be in Slytherin. Dumbledore says that he does possess many qualities that Voldemort himself prizes, but the Sorting Hat placed him in Gryffindor because Harry asked to be. Dumbledore says, It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. He then tells Harry to take a closer look at the sword for proof. Harry picks up the sword and realizes it was Godric Gryffindor's sword. Dumbledore tells him that it would take a true Gryffindor to pull that out of a hat. Lucius Malfoy enters with Dobby at his heels. Harry is surprised to see the house elf and says, Dobby, so this is your master, the family you serve as the Malfoys. Dobby looks sheepish and scared, and Lucius glares down at him, saying he'll deal with him later. He approaches Dumbledore and addresses the fact that Dumbledore has returned to Hogwarts. Dumbledore explains that the governors asked him to return when they learned that Arthur Weasley's daughter was taken, and several of them were under the impression that Lucius would curse them if they didn't suspend him in the first place. Lucius is outraged by this news and insists that his sole concern is the welfare of the school and, of course, its students. He asks if the culprit was identified and who it was. Dumbledore tells him that it was Voldemort, acting through someone else, using the battered, ink-stained diary which he holds up for Lucius to see, saying fortunately Mr. Potter discovered it. Dobby tugs on Harry's sleep, and the sight of the diary seems to humble Lucius a bit, but narrows his eyes when Dumbledore goes on to say, one hopes that no more of Voldemort's old school things should find their way into innocent hands. He says the consequences for the one responsible would be severe, and Lucius says, Well, let's hope Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. Harry assures him that he will be, and Lucius makes a dramatic exit, calling for Dobby and kicking him down the stairs. He leaves, and Harry sets down the sword, asking Dumbledore if he can have the diary. Harry runs after Mr. Malfoy and says he has something of his, forcing the diary into his hands. Malfoy sneers and says he doesn't know what he means. Harry says that he thinks he does, because he thinks he slipped the diary into Ginny Weasley's cauldron that day in Diagon Alley. Lucius snarls at him to prove it and shoves the diary towards Dobby. He turns to walk away and says, Come, Dobby. Harry tells Dobby to open the diary, and he does, to find a sock. Dobby says, Master has given Dobby a sock. Dobby is free. Lucius tries to deny this, but sees the sock and Harry's bare ankle. He yells that Harry lost him his servant, pulls out his wand, and begins to say Avada Kedavra, before Dobby cuts him off, telling him that he will not harm Harry Potter, and sends him flying backwards down the corridor. He gets up and tells Harry that his parents were meddlesome fools too, and one day he will meet the same sticky end, then turns and stalks off. Dobby asks how he can repay Harry Potter, and Harry makes him promise to never try to save his life again. The scene shifts to the Great Hall, where everyone is eating and celebrating. Nearly Headless Nick is floating between the tables and being welcomed back. 
He meets Hermione at the door and welcomes her back. She thanks him and looks towards Ron and Harry, sitting at the Gryffindor table. Neville sees her first and points her out. Harry and Ron both lean back to look toward her and get up to greet her. She runs right into Harry's arms and hugs him, then starts to hug Ron, but hesitates and shakes his hand instead as he welcomes her back. She says it's good to be back and congratulates them for solving it. Harry says they couldn't have done it without her. McGonagall taps her glass and calls for everyone's attention. Dumbledore stands and asks for a round of applause for Professor Sprout and Madame Pomfrey for successfully making and administering the mandrake juice. Everyone claps except for Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. Dumbledore then goes on to cancel exams as a school treat. This time, everyone but Hermione claps and cheers. Dumbledore sits back down, and the great hall door is open, revealing Hagrid, who says, Sorry, he's late. The owl who delivered his release papers got all lost and confused. Some ruddy bird called Errol. Ron looks at Dumbledore embarrassed, but Dumbledore just nods at him. Hagrid walks into the great hall and stops at Harry, Ron, and Hermione, telling them if it weren't for them, he'd still be you-know-where. He thanks them, and Harry says, There's no Hogwarts without you, Hagrid. Dumbledore and McGonagall stand and clap, and soon everyone else joins in, except, once again, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. As everyone surrounds Hagrid, the camera pans out the window and over the castle before fading to black. The End There were actually quite a few differences between the conclusion of the book and the movie, though it still ultimately gets the same sentiments across. Mm -hmm. In the book, Harry, Ron, Ginny, and Lockhart enter Professor McGonagall's office and immediately hear a scream. Mrs. Weasley jumps up and flings herself at Ginny, closely followed by Mr. Weasley. McGonagall is clutching her chest and gasping as Dumbledore just stands by the mantle, smiling. Oh yeah, it's completely different in the movie. For one thing, it's just Harry and Ron, and they're in Dumbledore's office, not McGonagall's. No Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, no McGonagall, and no Lockhart or Ginny. Yeah, the movie completely omits Mrs. Weasley asking how they saved Ginny, and Harry explaining how they figured everything out, as well as Professor McGonagall telling them that they broke a hundred school rules and wondering how they got out of there alive. The movie doesn't give that explanation at all, but... Since we just watched it all happen, I guess the sum-up wasn't really necessary. Yeah, the sum-up is definitely more of a book thing, tying all of the loose ends together. Mm-hmm. Harry explains how Fox showed up with the sorting hat and how that gave him the sword. He hesitates at this point because he's worried about mentioning the diary and getting Ginny in trouble. But Dumbledore interjects and flat-out asks how Voldemort managed to enchant Ginny when his sources tell him that he's currently hiding in Albania. Which, I mean, side note, those are some damn good sources. Like, I wonder who he's referring to at this point, because I don't think it was common knowledge that that was where he fled to, no? There's our Potter pondering. That's a great question. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) But while Mr. Weasley is freaking out that Lord Voldemort enchanted Ginny, Harry holds up the diary and explains how it worked. Dumbledore calls it brilliant, and refers to Riddle as Hogwarts' most brilliant student, then explains to the confused Weasleys that very few people knew Voldemort was once called Tom Riddle, before he went through many dangerous magical transformations and resurfaced as Lord Voldemort. Then Mrs. Weasley wants to know what that has to do with Ginny, and she cries that she'd been writing in his diary all year. I really 
really wish they had left this part in. Like, I love it when Arthur scolds her and tells her, Never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. It's such great, like, magical fatherly advice, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Plus, it's also where we learn how Jenny came by the diary. When she explains that she didn't know, she just found it inside one of her books her mom got her. Mm -hmm. It brings it full circle back to the fact that she had almost left it at home when they were leaving for Hogwarts, and they had to turn around to go back and get it. Which obviously would have made for a completely different story if they hadn't. (laughs) Seriously. Much shorter book, too. Harry went to Hogwarts, the end? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The book also has Dumbledore say that no lasting damage was done, that the mandrake juice is about to be administered, and Ginny wasn't going to be punished. Mr. and Mrs. Weasley take her to the hospital wing. Then Dumbledore tells McGonagall to go plan a celebratory feast, and she heads out, saying she will leave him to deal with Potter and Weasley, which is a total gulp moment for Harry and Ron. This is also basically where the movie starts. Um, The scene starts out with Dumbledore telling Harry and Ron that they broke a bunch of school rules, like they already knew, and there was sufficient evidence for them to be expelled, which I gotta say is a totally dick move. Yeah, the book has him remind them that he had said that he told them he would have to expel them if they broke any more school rules, but then he goes on to say that it shows that the best of them must sometimes eat their words and tells them they will both receive special awards for services to the school and 200 points apiece. Which was our trivia question. Though he doesn't give them points in the movie. He just lets the threat of expulsion hang for a second, and then tells them that they will receive special awards for services to the school. But am I the only one who sees it as weird that Dumbledore gave Harry and Ron the same award that was given to Tom Riddle when he caught... I'm using air quotes there, caught Hagrid. I'm just saying, like, maybe it's time to retire that particular one? Rename it something else? Or at the very least, ungive it to Tom Riddle in a grand and revealing ceremony about what a dick he actually was? Right? Exactly. And while they're at it, they should also make it extremely clear that Hagrid's name has been cleared. Mm Mm-hmm. And let him go back to Hogwarts so he can be allowed to do magic. Yes! 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 Hagrid deserves so much better. Uh, So much better. Makes me angry that they didn't do any of these things. Yeah. At this point in the book, Dumbledore addresses Lockhart, asking why he's being so quiet and wondering about the extremely out-of-character modesty. Ron explains that Professor Lockhart lost his memory when he tried to do a memory charm that backfired. This part would have been amazing to see. Like, I love how Lockhart is shocked to hear that he's a professor and calls himself hopeless. I mean, he basically calls himself an appendix. It's perfect. I love it. I mean, yeah, because he's an appendix. Yeah. Plus, there is the line where Dumbledore says Gilderoy was impaled upon by his own sword. And he just says that he doesn't have a sword, but gestures to Harry and says, that boy does. He'll lend you one. (laughs) Such an appendix. Oh my god. (laughs) Dumbledore then asks Ron to escort Lockhart to the hospital wing as well, and asks for a few more words with Harry. In the movie, Dumbledore has Ron go send an owl to Azkaban with release papers for Hagrid. In both, he thanks Harry for the loyalty he must have shown him, since that was the only thing that could have called Fox to him, obviously. 
In the book, Harry grins awkwardly, and Dumbledore changes the subject a bit, basically asking what it was like to meet Tom Riddle. In the movie, Dumbledore says, I sense that something is troubling you, Harry. Hmm, let's see. Now, aside from the fact that I've been branded a psycho all year, and I've had to escape and or kill giant fuck-off spiders and a big-ass venomous nope rope, only to be saved from certain death by a semi-sentient car and a crybaby bird with a spontaneous combustion problem, respectively, let's also add in the fact that the guy who fucking murdered my parents and tried to murder me when I was a baby just doubled down by trying to murder me, for the third time, I might add, and my best friend's sister. I brought her, her brother, and the useless piece of shit you hired to teach one of the most important classes all back up out of the chamber y'all have been searching for for 50 goddamn years just so you could sit me in your office and make me sweat about being expelled when really you're giving me some bullshit award and a pat on the back? Nah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Do you feel better now? A little. <laughs> that felt really nice. <laughs> In the book, Harry tells Dumbledore that Riddle said there were strange likenesses, and Dumbledore asks him what he thinks is such a therapist move. And what do you think about that? <laughs> How does that make you feel? Right? <laughs> Harry, who is obviously worried that they are alike, loudly insists that they aren't, citing that he's in Gryffindor before he trails off, still worrying about how the Sorting Hat had told him he would have done well in Slytherin. And that everyone thought he was Slytherin's heir for a while, since he can speak Parseltongue. The movie sets it up more as Harry outlining the similarities between them, since he and Riddle never had that part of the conversation in the film. Harry uses speaking Parseltongue as an example of a similarity. In both, Dumbledore explains that Voldemort unintentionally transferred some of his own powers to Harry when he tried to kill him the first time. Yes, and then Harry says, oh so smartly, Voldemort transferred some of his powers to me. Like, did I stutter, Harry? No. I mean, that would be a weird thing to find out. Yeah, I guess, but geez. Come on, kid, get with the program. Weird shit happens to you all the time. This is not the first time. That is facts. Mm -hmm. In both, Harry figures that this means he must actually belong in Slytherin. The Sorting Hat could see Slytherin's power inside him, but still put him in Gryffindor. In the book, Dumbledore tells Harry that while he does have many of the qualities Salazar Slytherin prized in his hand-picked students, parcel tongue, resourcefulness, determination, a certain disregard for the rules, but still placed him in Gryffindor. In the movie, he said something pretty similar, though he said qualities that Voldemort himself prizes. But Harry was placed in Gryffindor because he asked to be. In both, he says a variation of, it is our choices that show what we are, far more than our abilities. In the book, Harry is a little stunned by this, so Dumbledore offers him the sword as proof, telling him to look more closely at it. Yeah, in the movie, for the record, Harry grabs it by the blade. Like, good call, Harry. Grab the sword from Dumbledore by the sharp, bloody end. <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't meant to be in Ravenclaw. <laughs> no one ever thought he was. No. <laughs> But in both, he reads Godric Gryffindor, engraved just below the hilt, and Dumbledore tells him that only a true Gryffindor could have pulled that out of the hat. In the book, he also tells Harry that what he needs is some food and sleep and suggests he goes down to the feast, 
while he writes Azkaban to get Hagrid back, and pens an advertisement to the Daily Prophet for a new defense against the Dark Arts teacher. Harry gets up to leave and is nearly knocked backwards as Lucius Malfoy throws open the door and enters. In the movie, Harry is still holding the sword by Dumbledore's desk when Lucius enters, though in both he is closely followed by Dobby. The book says Dobby was following after him with a rag, apparently having been in the process of polishing his shoes when they left. Lucius is also described as looking pretty disheveled, so they must have left in a hurry. In the movie, he's just as sleek as usual. Harry sees Dobby and totally outs him, saying, Dobby, so this is your master, the family you serve as the Malfoys. And Lucius looks at him and tells him he'll deal with him later, like, I'm not robbing a bank with you, Harry, Jesus Christ. No poker face at all. No. <laughs> Poor Dobby. Mm hmm In the book, Harry doesn't call him out. It just goes right into Lucius confronting Dumbledore for returning after the school governor suspended him. He says that in the movie, too, and in both, Dumbledore tells him the governors contacted him after they heard Arthur Weasley's daughter was taken. Several were under the impression that Lucius threatened to curse their families if they didn't agree to suspend him in the first place. Hmm. I wonder if Lucius just flat out threatened them, or if he tried to do it subtly for plausible deniability. I wonder if Lucius just brings dramatic lighting with him everywhere he goes. Because he is seriously the only one in Dumbledore's office with any shadows on him. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> in both, Lucius wants to know if they caught the culprit and asks who it was after Dumbledore says they have. Dumbledore tells him that it was the same person who opened it last time, but this time, Lord Voldemort was acting through someone else using the diary. Dobby starts playing charades at this point when Dumbledore holds up the diary trying to get Harry to connect the dots. But the movie and the book differ a little bit here. The movie needs to give Harry another super sassy moment that wasn't in the book, obviously. Yeah, in the book, Harry doesn't even get Dobby's charades immediately. Dumbledore goes on talking, saying it was fortunate that Harry and Ron found the diary, or there wouldn't have been any way to prove that Jenny wasn't acting of her own free will. He said to imagine the effect that would have had on the Weasley family in Arthur's Muggle Protection Act, so it was very fortunate indeed. Dobby is still in the background, pointing to the diary, then to Lucius, then punching himself in the head, and Harry finally gets it. <laughs> Poor Dobby. I wonder how many times he had to hit himself before Harry finally figured it out. Seriously, he apparently then starts twisting his ears as Harry accuses Mr. Malfoy of slipping the diary inside Jenny's transfiguration book at Flourish and Blots. Lucius snarls for him to prove it. The movie has Harry say something similar, but it's after this scene, not during it. Dumbledore tells Lucius, One hopes that no more of Lord Voldemort's old school things should find their way into innocent hands. He says the consequences for the one responsible would be severe. And Lucia says, Well, let's hope Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. This is Harry's pretty serious sass moment right here, when he says, Don't worry, I will be. And Dumbledore has the best shit-eating grin when Harry just owns Lucius. He really, <laughs> he really does. He really does. The best. Supposedly, this exchange was completely improvised. 
Jason Isaacs didn't originally have a response to Dumbledore after he tells him the consequences would be severe, so he improvised the line, hoping Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. And without missing a beat, Daniel Radcliffe just says, just he just looks him right in the eye and says, don't worry, I will be. I love that. It's just, it's so cute. It's, ah, I don't know. I wish I had words. It's even more powerful knowing that this 12-year-old was just like, bam, improv you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, sucker. The book doesn't let Harry be sassy like this towards Mr. Malfoy, though. However, Dumbledore gets to give a little bit of sass. It's nothing like Harry's line, but he cheerfully tells Lucius that no one will be able to prove that he gave Ginny the diary but also advises him not to go giving out any more of Lord Voldemort's old school things and tells him that if any more find their way into innocent hands, Arthur Weasley, for one, will make sure it's traced back to him. At this point in both, Lucius is ready to go and acts like an absolute Nazi von douchebag, kicking Dobby right out the door. In the movie, Harry sets down the sword and asks Dumbledore if he can have the diary before running after him. In the book, Harry specifically asks if he can give the diary back to Mr. Malfoy. Dumbledore tells him he can, but to hurry because of the feast. He takes off one of his slimy socks and stuffs the diary inside, Ew. running after Mr. Malfoy. He says he's got something for him and shoves the sock-encased diary into Lucius's hands. The movie has Harry tell Lucius that he's got something of his and force the diary into his hand. The diary isn't inside the sock, either. Mr. Malfoy sneers and says he doesn't know what Harry means, and this is when Harry tells him that he slipped the diary into Ginny's cauldron in Diagon Alley. Which is just slightly different from inside her Transfiguration book, In Flourish and Blots, but still gets the same point across. Yeah, but just like in the book, Lucius snarls for him to prove it, and he shoves the diary to Dobby. Which... I see as him basically admitting that it was originally in his possession. Right. Why else would he decide to keep it? Seriously. But then he turns and walks away, calling for Dobby to come, and Harry tells him to open the diary. Dobby opens it, and we see that Harry had tucked the sock inside. Dobby says, Master has given Dobby a sock! Dobby declares himself free, and Lucius is just like, What? I didn't give you a sock! But Harry lifts his pant leg to show his bare ankle. Ooh. In the book, Lucius rips the sock off the diary and tosses it aside, where it is caught by Dobby. Lucius sees the diary and furiously tells Harry he will meet the same sticky end as his parents and calls them meddlesome fools too. He calls for Dobby, who is just standing there, looking at the sock like it's a priceless treasure. He says... Master has given Dobby a sock. And Lucius makes him repeat it. What's that? What did you say? Got a sock. Master threw it and Dobby caught it. Dobby is free. <laughs> Though I honestly don't see how inadvertently tossing a house elf an article of clothing would actually free him. Like, does that mean that they can't have the elves do laundry? Well, I mean, they're using house elves as slaves. I don't think they're picking up the laundry basket of clothes and handing it directly to them to do laundry. I would imagine that it's just expected that they will pick up the clothes off the floor or from the basket and do the laundry. As long as the clothing doesn't pass directly from the owner's hands to the elf. Well, 
But, like, what if they get home and toss their cloak aside and a house elf runs to catch it? Like, it seems like there are a lot of ways to accidentally free an elf. Well, I don't see Lucius as being the type to throw his cloak aside. It seems far more likely that his wife would be expected to help him remove it and hang it up for him. Eh, this still seems like a plot hole to me. Like, Hermione was knitting all those hats and leaving them for the elves to pick up to free them. I don't think that would have actually freed them, though, since they weren't handed to them. And I was always under the impression that it was just a stupid plot of a teenager, and the house elves were more insulted by them than they were worried about being set free when they didn't want to be. Hmm. I guess that's a good point. I don't know. I still think it's a little odd. I'm just like, and elves can appear anywhere, so, like, what if Lucius was taking off his socks one day after a hard day, and threw them, and Dobby just popped out out of nowhere and caught the damn sock then. I wonder if there's something in the elves binding magic that prevents them from being able to do something like that. That was overridden by the fact that Harry instigated this situation. Not Dobby. Yeah, but Lucius was still the one to throw the sock. Right, but Dobby didn't organize being freed from it. It's not like Dobby tried to catch it. It just happened. But Dobby, like, but he still caught it. Not if there's some kind of weird magic that says I can't catch clothing. Well, I know I'm not saying that the magic is that they can't catch clothing. I'm saying that the magic is they can't intentionally go catch clothing that's been cast aside. They can't plan to go do that. This wasn't a plan on Dobby's part. Because magic works in weird ways. (sighs) Dobby was like an unwilling, I don't want to say victim, but he was like unknowingly freed in that moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know he was unknowingly freed, but still, it just... I don't think that the binding on them would allow them to plot their freedom like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's weird. I think it's a plot hole. I don't like it. Yeah, but let's just keep rolling. Fine. In both, Lucius is seriously pissed that Harry lost him his servant. In the book, he lunges at Harry, and Dobby uses elf magic to throw him backwards. He tells him to go and that he will not touch Harry Potter. Movie Lucius comes across significantly more pissed, as instead of lunging at him, he starts to cast Avada Kedavra on him. Yeah, that's like out of his mind mad. What if he actually succeeded in casting it and killed Harry? Wouldn't have had any more books. Like, he would have had some serious explaining to do. Luckily, he cast spells like a bitch and gave Dobby plenty of time to cut off the spell and also throw him backwards down the corridor, saying, You will not harm Harry Potter! It was very satisfying to see Nazi von Douchebag I go ass over Applecart, just like his son. It really was. (laughs) And Dobby's little head nod after he knocks Lucius down is just so adorable. I love him. I love him too. He's so cute. In the movie, Lucius stands up and says a similar line to previously in the book, calling his parents meddlesome fools too, and telling him that he will meet the same sticky end. In both, Dobby is extremely grateful Harry freed him, and Harry tells him to promise never to save his life again. And Harry asks him about when he told him that all this didn't have anything to do with he who must not be named. Dobby told him that it was a clue. Because before the Dark Lord changed his name, it could be freely spoken. Great clue, Dobby. Obviously, the movie couldn't include this since he never gave that clue in the film. Right. But then Harry says he better get off to the feast, 
Dobby gives him a big hug and disappears with a crack. The movie just transitions straight to the feast, where Nearly Headless Nick is gliding down the aisle, being greeted and welcomed back. He makes it to the entrance as Hermione is coming in. Neville points her out, and Harry and Ron lean back to get a better look. I love the visual of this part. It was so cute Mm -hmm. how Ron leans back and then Harry pops out behind him, leaning back further. Aw, yeah. (laughs) Then Hermione runs up to greet them and throws herself right into Harry's arms and starts to hug Ron, but that doesn't work out and it gets awkward and they just shake hands. (laughs) Like, I just love that moment. That was, actually, that was the first moment where I knew they were going to get together. I knew it was going to be Ron Hermione. Yeah, definitely. That awkward, I don't want to say sexual tension because they're 12 and that's weird, but... Oh, there was that was totally a cooties moment. Yeah, I just loved it. <laughs> but then in true Hermione fashion, she says, I can't believe you solved it. Probably because she figured she'd be petrified forever with those two dumbasses on the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like they did it without her. No, not at all. But the book doesn't describe her entrance, just lists it among the best moments of the feast, along with Justin apologizing, Hagrid's return, Harry and Ron's 400 points for Gryffindor, McGonagall canceling exams as a school treat, and Dumbledore's announcement that Lockhart would be unable to return. Which cracks me up because several teachers join in the cheering. And Ron says, shame, he was starting to grow on me as he helps himself to a jam donut. (laughs) And I don't know why that's so funny, but like the jam donut just really clinches it. It's that nonchalance, that Ron, Ron nonchalance. (laughs) Not sorry. Not sorry. I'm pretty sure we just got our episode title. (laughs) Ron nonchalance. Shame, he was starting to grow on me. Oh my god. Yeah, I somehow doubt that was actually the case, though. Some of that was in the movie, some wasn't. No Justin apologizing. As we already mentioned, Harry and Ron weren't given the points, or at least we didn't see it happen. McGonagall doesn't cancel the exams, but she does clink on the glass to get everyone's attention for Dumbledore, because apparently he can't clink his own glass. Apparently. But he asked for a round of applause for Madame Pomfrey and Professor Sprout, since the mandrake juice was successfully administered. Everyone claps, except for Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. Then he announces that the exams have been cancelled as a school treat, and everyone claps and cheers, this time except Hermione, who looks just devastated. I don't know why there's no way she would have been prepared for them. (laughs) Right? In the movie, we actually see Hagrid's return. He makes a grand entrance right after Dumbledore's speech, saying that he's sorry he's late. The owl who delivered my release papers got all lost and confused. Some ruddy bird called Errol. Which did not happen in the book since Ron didn't send the release papers. Yeah, but Hagrid makes his way up the aisle, stopping at Harry, Ron, and Hermione, of course, saying that if it weren't for them, he'd still be you-know-where. Harry tells him that there's no Hogwarts without him, and Dumbledore and McGonagall start a standing ovation. Everyone joins in except Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle again. Though Crab totally gets a little caught up in the moment and starts to stand before Nazi von Douchebag II pulls him back down. My favorite part is when we see like little Ickle Nevilkins and his big old buck teeth. Because he totally had Hermione's teeth. Oh, totally. But I feel like Hermione took everybody else's stuff, so someone should take hers, apparently. But this is where the movie ends. 
Everyone surrounds Hagrid, and the camera pans out the window and over the castle before fading to black. As usual, the book goes on just a bit further, and actually ends the term, and shows their journey back to the Muggle world. Lucius Malfoy has been sacked as a school governor, which takes Draco down a couple of pegs. Serves him right. Ginny is also perfectly happy again, and she, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, and George all get a compartment to themselves on the Hogwarts Express, making the most of the last few hours they can do magic before the holidays. Just before they reach King's Cross, Harry remembers that Ginny walked in on Percy doing something, and we finally get the last piece of the Percy the Letter Writing shut-in puzzle. Finally! As it turns out, Percy has a girlfriend. What? The Ravenclaw prefect, Penelope Clearwater. He was writing her all summer and meeting her all over the school in secret. Which is why they were both out and about in the book when Rab and Hoyle ran into them. Yep. As well as why he was so upset when she was petrified, not just because he didn't think Prefix could be attacked. But Ginny walked in on them kissing in an empty classroom, and Fred and George are thrilled to learn this about their brother. <laughs> I love that Ginny asks that they won't tease him, and they're both like, Well, wouldn't dream of it. Definitely not. Sure you won't, guys. Yeah, I don't believe you. No. <laughs> <laughs> But they all get off the train and Harry writes down the Dursley's phone number for Ron and Hermione, wanting someone else to talk to aside from Dudley all summer. Hermione thinks that Harry's aunt and uncle will be proud when they hear what he did, but Harry sets her straight, telling her that they will just be furious with all the times he could have died and didn't manage it. <laughs> then together they walk through the gateway back to the Muggle world and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets ends here. Well, the movie also had a little extra scene after the credits. It looks like Lockhart's latest book, Who Am I?, is being promoted at Flourish and Blots. The cover features a very disheveled and confused Lockhart in a straitjacket. Which is fun, since in the movie we didn't otherwise get a conclusion about him, and we'll never ever see him again. Mm-hmm. So at least we kind of got a little character wrap-up in this scene. Yep. And with that... We have officially finished comparing the Chamber of Secrets book to the movie. This section doesn't have any new actors, so we'll just roll right into our Potter ponderings. The first one is, who do you think Dumbledore is talking about when he mentions his sources that tell him Voldemort is currently hiding out in Albania? And since we got into such a discussion about this earlier, our second Potter pondering is, any thoughts about how Dobby was freed by a discarded sock? Yeah, that really was quite the discussion, so I'm very interested to know what you all think. Mm-hmm. And just for funsies, what do you think Hagrid would have named werewolf cubs? Find our post on our Facebook page and let us know what you think. Yeah. And that'll bring us to this week's Sorting Hat story, which is from Carissa Mears Tomei. I'm a Slytherin. My wand is you wood with a dragon heartstring core, ten and a quarter inches, and unbending flexibility. My Patronus is a white swan. Originally, it was my brother who was watching Harry Potter, and I would look at his Chromebook screen to watch as well, and he told me I should watch it myself. I started the first one, and I sort of just fell in love with the movie, and then the whole book series because I read the books before I watched the second movie. I have two brothers, and that's just such a brotherly thing to do. Mm -hmm. He basically simultaneously got rid of you while also telling you that you would like it and should watch it. Just on your own. 
Thank you for sharing your story, Carissa. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Definitely. And this will bring us to this week's trivia question. The U.S. version of the Chamber of Secrets makes reference to Percy's sweater vest. What is it called in the British version? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag prefect badge will get a bitch is a witch, my fucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, a that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way you can get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale, including our equality line that we will donate the proceeds from to the Trevor Project and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. And with that, we have officially finished Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Well, sort of. Join us next Friday when we talk about the differences between the American version and the British version of Chamber of Secrets, as well as share our favorite moments from the episodes covering the second story, and then we will be officially finished. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.